0: self-care. I'm
1: holding on to
0: this self-care with every ounce of me. (laughs) Join us as we journey through sharing together. Hey everyone, it's me again coming back at you from my closet in Maryland. I haven't gotten back in the studio yet to start recording season three. I am home with my family enjoying our new baby girl. Um, But we are going to be sharing some of your favorite episodes from Hey Girl Seasons 1 and 2. This week, we're revisiting Selena on mental health. Dr. Selena Smith sits down to discuss mental health with me in the prison system. And as we're walking through 2018, I thought that revisiting some self-care and mental health chat would be uh, beneficial for everyone. So I hope you guys enjoy this rebroadcast of Selena on mental health. Hey girl. Hey girl. How are you today? I'm
1: doing wonderful.
0: How are you doing Alex? I'm doing well Selena. I'm so happy to have you on the show. This is going to be a really great conversation and topic so I'm very excited. You're our first guest for season two so yay for that. Yay thank you. Thank you for having me Alex. Of course. Such an honor. Of course. Oh my goodness of course. So I want to kick off the show by telling the listeners a little bit about you. So I'm going to hand over the conversation to you just so you can give us a little background about you, your line of work and your life walk.
1: Okay. So my name is Selena and I am a doctor. Um, I have my PhD in counseling psychology and I work in a women's prison. Um, And that's kind of, crazy when I think about it because it was nothing I ever set out to do in my life, but it's been one of the best decisions I could have ever made for myself.
0: How long have you been at the women's prison? I'm um, going on a year and a half now. Oh, so going it's fairly new.
1: Yeah, it's fairly new. Um, before that, I was working, I was teaching in a university mm-hmm. here in Oklahoma mm-hmm. in the African American Studies program. So it is a pretty big leap.
0: That is a big leap. Okay, I didn't know that. That is very exciting for me. So let's talk about that leap. So you started off teaching African-American studies at a university. What yes. made you go, you know what, I want to do something different. And then you literally leaped to <laughs> going to be a doctor at a women's prison and to, you know, really get in there with the inmates. How did you make that decision?
1: Well, I was an adjunct, so I was teaching three three classes mm-hmm. a semester, which was pretty busy. But I just felt a void. I didn't go to school to become a, a psychologist or anything. I originally went to college. I went to Howard in D.C. Mm-hmm. to become a school teacher because I've always wanted to, to help, to yeah. serve people. Yeah, And I loved teaching, but I just felt like something was missing. Like I felt like I wasn't serving in the way that. My heart felt congruent to my heart. Once I decided to go into psychology, I wanted to serve, work with underserved populations. I don't know. I think one day I was watching a documentary or something, but I was just reading about women's incarceration and come to find out my state has the highest female incarceration rate per capita, like higher than anywhere else in the world. Wow. I think at that point I, I made the decision, like, yeah, this isn't. I love teaching. I love it a lot. But I realized that's what I needed to, to do.
0: So, I mean, you're kind of teaching. Kind I of, right? And, but just in a different capacity. Absolutely. So, yes. Life
1: comes full circle, mm-hmm. I realize. Mm-hmm. It's just not the way I envision. It. <laughs> it's, it's never like, the way we envision it, right? It's never. I have these days where I'm at my desk in my or at, in my office. And I'm just like, who would have thought... Who would have thought? But it's, it's been a beautiful journey. It's been absolutely beautiful.
0: When did you start applying to work in prisons?
1: You know, it w- happened fairly fast. Like it was a quick process because I applied. The person who was doing the hiring graduated from my PhD program. And so we met up and she was just like, yes, we need you. And so come to find out the facility I work at had no women of color. in mental health. And we already know what the population looks like, right? right. A disproportionate amount of women of color. Right, And I'm the youngest woman on staff as well. And so it just, I mean, once we met and talked, she made it happen pretty quickly. My boss, I knew it was meant to be, because there were no obstacles. Like my background check came back really faster than usual. Like everything fell in line.
0: It's almost like it was meant to be. Like you made that decision and it was just divine.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have days, I mean, it feels like every day there's something that reminds me that this was meant to be, that it was divine, whether it's something that, you know, one of the the ladies come in to talk to me about, and it's just like something I've dealt with in my my own life Mm -hmm. or something that I've been, you know, it's every, every day I have a reminder or something to just, let me know I'm where I'm supposed to be. So what,
0: what does I, a day in the prison <laughs> look like?
1: What does a day look like, Alex? <laughs> there, There is never a dull moment. There is never, all, every day is different, but it's from beginning to end, from the moment I hit step foot on the compound to the moment I leave. It's constant people calling me, inmates just walking over because I work on a mental health unit, okay. which is like inpatient. It's the more severe end of the mental health spectrum okay. when you think about you know, mental illness. So I work on a mental health unit now. And so I even have women who are still general population constantly coming over to me. Last week was probably one of the craziest weeks I've had because we had two women cut themselves. Like Monday, we had a woman on the unit cut her wrist. And then on Friday, I had another woman cut her throat. Like, Mm. I mean, and they're both fine. They're both very, they're okay. Mm -hmm. It's just one thing after another, crisis after crisis after crisis. And then I have those good moments where, you know, I just have someone come and talk to me about transitioning to prison. And I'm like, you know what, this is, it's, it's a good day.
0: (laughs) How do you, how do you compartmentalize? Because I am an extremely, sensitive person. Right. So yeah. I don't think I could ever be anybody's doctor <laughs> or a psychi- or a psychiatrist or a psychologist because I would sit and I would just cry with them, you know, and I because it's so it's so difficult. Specifically, I imagine it's difficult when women like you and I have talked about this on the phone, like mm-hmm. they know they're not going home. Right. right. So how do you as a doctor, compartmentalize but still are able to empathize with your patients and, you know, give them as much comfort as you can?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, I'm pretty transparent and I make sure that I'm authentic. So if they're sitting there talking to me about something that moves me, I don't mind shedding tears. Like I'm not sitting there weeping, but You know, I let them know that I'm being moved by what they're saying because I want to be present and I want to be authentic. And I think that really helps my relationships with the women. But I've had days, Alex, where I've walked to the parking lot and sat in my car and cried just because I've been so sad about what a lot of them have to deal with. or just frustrated with the systemic aspect of my work. But I do. I have a good drive home. I have about a 30, 35 minute drive home. And I find that that is really important. At the beginning of my day, getting, going into work to get my mind together and also driving home to kind of just let go of a lot of stuff. So, yeah, I'm definitely moved. I have days where I'm just pissed off because a lot of the women have are in for nonviolent drug charges. There's no reason why they should be serving 25 years. Wow. Or, you know, what they perceive to be, you know, distribution mm. or... You know, a lot of them have taken charges for their, their husbands or boyfriends or, you know, other people in their lives. So it's it's frustrating. Those are the moments where I'm just really upset and I have to, you know, exercise and do things to really make a conscious effort to let go of stuff. So self-care is really important yes. in this job. Very important. So let's talk about that.
0: <laughs> let's talk about how the doctor oh, treats herself to self-care. I mean, you work in a very high emotional triggering job and your duty in your work and some in your life walk. Cause you mentioned it earlier that you want to serve, right? So your duty in life yeah. is, to serve, is to serve, is to serve, is to serve, is to give, is to give, is yeah. to give. So yeah. how do you pour back into yourself as a literal, like you're a giver all I day, am. every day. So I how am. do you pour back into yourself with your line it's, of work?
1: So Before I even answer, I was prepared for this question because I listened to your podcast (laughs) and I I had this internal discussion, Alex, like, am I going to be honest or am I going to just get, and I just, I'm going to be honest. So honestly, and you know, I think the important thing about this podcast is that it allows us to see that we're more alike than we are different. Like, so, there's so much commonality mm-hmm. in us. Mm-hmm. And one thing I struggle with is self-care, Alex. Like, the doctor, I'm like one of the biggest hypocrites. I laugh all the time <laughs> because that's what I'm constantly preaching to the women. Yeah. Like, you need to take care of yourself. You need to make yourself a priority. But I, I do go overboard sometimes. You know, I give too much and I deplete myself. And, you know, because my work takes so much out of me, I do have a tendency to isolate myself mm-hmm. in ways that probably isn't healthy at times. But I, what I have found is that this job has helped me to create better boundaries. I've done a better job of saying no. No outside of work, like, and even at work, but especially outside of work, because I, I had a tendency to still try to do everything yeah. and be everything to everybody in my life Yeah. outside of work. And I, I realized I can't do that and still be able to sustain myself at work. I'm so blessed to have an amazing tribe. I'm so blessed to have a great circle around me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I find that spending time with them or even just talking to them, even if I'm not physically seeing them, is important. I have two crazy dogs that keep me <laughs> on my toes and keep me, you know, grounded in ways yeah. that I need to be after work. Yeah. But self-care is something I struggle with. You know, music is an important part of my life. Finding balance is has been a challenge for me. Yeah. So I definitely need to do better. But I have been able to find different ways just reading watching tv journaling is a huge part of my life it just allows me to process my days and also kind of think about where i want to be what i want to do in my life yeah
0: so how did you end up in oklahoma or did you (laughs) are you from there
1: well i i lived here for a little bit uh, growing up because i have family here my dad is here i have siblings here um and i also went to grad school here my phd program so i was here for a while. <laughs> Six years. Where, yes, yes. The Ph.D. journal is quite lengthy. And I came back, I, actually, I was living in Texas for a while, in Aust- the Austin area, and I came back. So what brought me back in 2013, there was a really bad tornado here that affected a lot of people. And it was actually less than a mile from where my dad and my brother and their families live. And I realized... When that happened, that I miss, I've missed a lot of time with my family because of school and career. And so I moved here to be closer to them for, for a little bit because I have nieces and nephews that I love dearly.
0: Mm. And
1: I, I realized that at any moment, like I could really, anything could happen. Yeah. So that's what brought me back. But I'm not sure how much longer I'll be here, Alex. Really? <laughs> yes. I love my work dearly, but you know, I can't just be solely focused on career. And I think that's a common issue that a lot of us deal with is that career versus personal life. Hmm. And so I've found that my my personal life is suffering a bit living here in a state like Oklahoma. Yeah. So I'm kind of opening up to finding out whatever, I don't know what my next step is. But Oklahoma, it's been a good chapter, but I'm Thinking it might be wrapping up soon.
0: Okay. Well, that's you know that is a part of the journey. You know what I mean. It is, and it's never easy to decide when to close your chapter. But you'll find a way. You know, we always we always find a way. We always find a way.
1: Do you watch Queens Sugar at all?
0: I started watching it, and I couldn't get into it, so Okay, I guess okay. that's a no. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: the, the new season started, and there was an episode where, the first episode, actually, where there was a group of, of Black women talking about, you know, having their pro- professional lives in order and all of the, like, all these accomplishments, but then on the other hand, you know, still wanting a family and wanting a partner and how to make that work, because, you know, they, I think they were most of them were probably in their late 30s mm-hmm. same, you know same age as me and so it just really made me think more about huh what do i want at this stage of my life yes. i love my work though and so so
0: there's that, that push that makes and pull, it
1: right yeah yes absolutely
0: Would you buy a t-shirt for 50 bucks if you knew it only cost 7 to make? I wouldn't. With Everlane, you never overpay for quality clothes. They want you to know what you're paying for and why. So they tell you their real costs and are radically transparent about every step in their process. From the materials they use to the ethical factories they work with. That is what keeps me coming back to this brand. Essentials like their Cotton Crew t-shirt are exactly what they should be. Versatile, simple, stylish, and made from quality materials. own so many of them. I've lost count. I have new ones, I have old ones, and they all give me what I need. Quality, endurance, comfortability. It's truly amazing. Right now in rotation, I have a few pair of Everlane's denim, of course, my t-shirts from them and my sweatshirts. I can't live without any of them, and I am so happy that Everlane makes quality goods that I can continue to go back to. Right now, you can check out our personalized collection at everlane.com/heygirl. Plus, you'll get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com/heygirl. Again, that's Everlane.com slash heygirl. I'm super happy that you've tuned into the podcast. Whether you're new here or a seasoned supporter, I want to stay connected. You can find me on the gram at Alex underscore L. And if you want something new to read, my new book, Neon Soul, is in stores now. In the meantime, make sure you rate and review on iTunes. And if you love the show, make sure you share with a friend. With your women at work. Mm-hmm. I, I know that you use my, a note to self meditation journals with yes. them. you guys. Do you guys have like a day where a bunch of them get together or is it individual sessions? How do you find the balance to getting them to open up and to trust you, but also to trust the other women mm-hmm. in their group?
1: Yeah, that's huge. So for my journaling group, I was very intentional with the women that I put together okay, and they were all women that I I've worked with individually. And I spent a lot of time thinking about just chemistry and life story. Well, you know, I really didn't think that much about their life stories. I just thought more about who I knew them to be. And it was amazing. It was amazing to see them even when they first got together because some of them knew each other and some of them really didn't. And, What happened was they all had this common thread of being mothers who had lost their children at some point, and they were all struggling with forgiveness. So I think it was divine Mm -hmm. in terms of how they all came together. And just to see them developing relationships over time has been transformative for me. So it, it's been a gradual process, but I think as they start slowly started sharing stories, and of course, you know, there's usually one or two who are a lot more upfront and mm-hmm. forthcoming about their stories, mm-hmm. which made the, the group safer for the other ones to open up as well and be vulnerable. And so that has just, I, I mean, that's my favorite part of the week when I have my journaling group. That's so amazing. Yeah. And then I also use your journal with some women individually as well, though. And that's been... Just as powerful because you know concepts like self care are things that they've never even thought about or mm. heard up until now, which is something that I think we take for granted. Yeah. But they've been you know so focused on everything else. You know, a lot of them were just like a deer in headlights when I brought up self care and how do you take care of yourself or self forgiveness. Yeah. What were
0: their responses when you were asking what does self care look like to you or what does self forgiveness look like to you?
1: Some of them said, you know, I've never even thought about forgiving myself. You know, I just want X, Y, and Z to forgive me. Or I've been just so focused on, you know, beating myself up all the time. Uh, Self-care. I had to, I mean, in the group, I I had to explain what that meant. Yeah. And then I realized also there's so much that I take for granted being free. Right. Or when I quote free. Yeah. I started using examples when I was talking about self-care I was bringing up examples of things that they don't have access to
0: I know I was just gonna say so self-care for women in prison looks very different from from self-care for women who are not in prison so okay so that's what I really wanted I really wanted to touch on that so I'm glad you brought that up how are they supposed to grasp and attain and maintain their self-care locked up behind bars
1: A lot of it was me allowing them to tell me Mm. what, you know, once we actually talked through what it meant, they were able to kind of say, oh, okay. So maybe taking some time out for myself in the morning before, you know, everybody's out on the yard and just being outside and breathing and looking at the sky and just taking some time to just be in the moment. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Or, you know, exercising, like they have exercise classes that they do that are kind of like Zumba. Mm -hmm. So realizing that instead of spending time with their partner or trying to take care of their friends, that they would take this time out every day to go and work out eating how they eat. You know, and there's still limitations to how they can eat. Like, they don't get fresh fruit and vegetables like we do. Wow. So when I come to work with salads and stuff, they're just like, Dr. Smith, like, do you know how long it's been since I've had a salad? And that's, you know, and when you think about it, food affects everything. Absolutely. Your mental health, um, your physical health, like everything. And so, but, you know, making the decision to eat less junk food. Even if it's not fresh food, they're eating less junk food. What do they get to eat? Oh, my gosh.
0: <laughs> like, it's so crazy, like, because I'm I'm literally over here, like, with my eyes getting so full and watery because I Alex. just
1: can't yeah. even. Yeah, yeah. And I, I still have moments like that. They may get, you know, hot links or bologna sandwiches or on good days they get hamburgers or they may get something that's turkey with gravy and... You know, vegetables
0: like they don't like
1: the vegetables are usually like canned, canned. maybe canned green beans or or peas or, (sighs) you know, something like that. But no, no, it's it's unless they have the money to go to canteen and they may be able to get, you know, an onion or, you know, just something here and there. No. Or a lot of their stuff is frozen. You know, frozen fruits
0: and veggies. So I want to ask you something.
1: Uh-huh. Absolutely. Go
0: ahead. A friend of mine, and this might be just me trying to get like a therapy session, but I'm gonna ask <laughs> you. <laughs> no,
1: that's what I'm here for.
0: <laughs> so a friend of mine texted me the other day and said, Do you think that everybody is privileged in some way? And I told her no. And the reason why and I, I went through to explain that. Just as a woman of color. Right. I Mm -hmm. acknowledge my privilege as a black woman, as a free black woman, you know, not incarcerated Mm -hmm. as a black woman who has a steady income, who can afford, Mm -hmm. you know, fresh fruit and food and who can pay my rent on time and Mm -hmm. all of these things. I feel like those are privileges that not everybody has. Mm
1: -hmm. Right
0: and she was asking me because she agreed with my line of thinking mm-hmm. and her sorority sisters were mm-hmm. completely saying like no every everybody is privileged in some way and i was thinking if you tell someone who's underserved or underprivileged that they're privileged and i'm i'm talking mm-hmm. about privilege in the economic standpoint, not mm-hmm. that you're alive and you get to wake up and and, right, and, and right. you breathe like yeah that, that's a blessing, and yeah, that's a privilege, but we're talking about from the mm-hmm. socioeconomic standpoint that that everyone is privileged in some way and and you and you bringing up that that these women you know when you have a fresh salad and they say to you, "I haven't seen a salad in x amount of years, or I, you don't know the last time <laughs> I had a salad, does mm-hmm. that ever make you check your privilege every
1: single day? Yeah. Like, you know. And do you
0: understand what I'm saying? Like, does, oh, does yes. what does what I broke down? I mean, I'm yes. I don't I'm not really great at breaking those types of things down, but I just figure like, yeah, I'm 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 privileged and, and privilege just doesn't it doesn't just account for white privilege. You know what I mean? Right, it accounts right? for privilege all across the board. So I wanted to right. see if you could touch on that and and, and just let me know, like. How that makes you feel working in an environment where there are people who are very underprivileged and underserved.
1: It makes me check my privilege every day in some capacity. You know, I have the right to shower when I want to, mm-hmm. I have the right to eat when I want to, mm-hmm. Alex. Like, even those small things, for me to tell, I don't, I have no right to tell them that it's going to get better. Mm. That never comes out of my mouth because I get to leave every single day. Right. You know. A lot of them are in there forever. Like, they're going to die in there. So, Jesus, that, you know, how dare I have the audacity to tell them it's going to get better.
0: So, how I'm do th- you soothe
1: them? I try to help them find some way to feel empowered about their life. Whether it's, you know, their ability to to reconnect with someone that they have, you know, lost touch with in their lives. Their kids, like a lot of the women are are mothers and they have lost touch with their children or their children no longer talk to them mm. and even just over their own life you know having some power to 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 heal over you know they a lot there's a lot of trauma and so letting them know that and that's hard a lot of days alex to mm. to really get them to see like you have a voice you have Trying to help them find some aspect of their life where they have power. Yeah. So yeah, those are the days where I go home and I'm just like, Am I really making a difference? But then I go come back the next day and I have a note under my door, like, Thank you for everything you do for us. And so it's 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 a lot.
0: So that's it, rewarding, right?
1: <laughs> it is. It is. And, and I it
0: and is. it must be rewarding to be able to help women reclaim their joy in some yes. in some aspect. Yes. Um specifically after they've been you know ripped from their families or right. they've made poor decisions that that ended them up in in prison or whether they're you know falsely accused or what have you there's so many reasons why mm-hmm. someone can lose their joy and lose their voice. Yeah. Um, and yeah. what you're doing is, I've told you this before, is just absolutely phenomenal. I commend you for, for doing this line of work because it's not easy. I mean, you said yourself, you're the mm-hmm. only woman of color there. And I'm sure when you walked in and they saw you, they were just like, <laughs> amen, like somebody, you know what I mean? Who looks like me because even that gives people comfort
1: and a sense of family yeah you know when I first started probably for about two or three months straight I would have women coming to my office saying we've been waiting on you we've been waiting for you Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. and these are women who have been there for like decades like and so that speaks a lot to how long it's been since they've had a clinician of color or someone who's been there for decades to say we've been waiting on you yeah and I think another thing that helps that helps me feel like I'm helping them is to help them recognize that the, the talent and the gifts that they have, because just because they're incarcerated, that doesn't take away who they are and what they have to offer. So there, I mean, there's so many brilliant women who I just think about the impact that they would have on the world if they were outside mm-hmm. of, of those walls, like artists, like lawyers, like there are women who are brilliant thinkers and writers and singers and, you know, it's just in servants. There are women who are just there to help other women Mm -hmm. grow Mm -hmm. and helping them recognize that and recognize that the fact that they're in prison doesn't take away the power of those gifts and the the talent that they have Mm -hmm. and helping them to channel that into the environment they're in is really important to me as well just speaking life into them Mm. and light and letting them know who they are and what they have to offer because they still have a lot to offer like i love those women so much they have (laughs) really changed my life in such a profound way that
0: is just ugh, just all the feels (laughs) like that's all (laughs) i can even say so we have a few more minutes before we have to wrap up but i wanted to touch on The comment you made a few weeks ago when I spoke with you about women really being the backbone of families and how we hear so much about men being ripped away from their families and being the backbone and all of that, which is true as well, but how you broke it down really shed a new light on that for me. So I wanted to know if you could touch on that.
1: I've been listening to uh, The New Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. by Michelle Alexander. What I found is that it focuses on primarily male incarceration. And, you know, when you watch TV or you're watching a documentary, you are, most of the time, I think 13th primarily focused on male incarceration as well. But what I realized working there is that when you take a woman out of the equation, especially in our communities, the whole system falls apart. Like the children end up in foster care or you know, in state custody, and they're often split up, you know, when we have grandmothers and mothers in the system, because a lot of times the grandmothers are the backbone. Uh, We have grandmothers, aunties, so we have women who are like in their 70s and 80s in prison still. When you take that out, like, the family truly does fall apart. They split up. And then the children, once they end up in the system, a lot of times they end up Mm -hmm. just falling into that same cycle. They end up being abused and mistreated. And, you know, a lot of the families get into the foster care business for the wrong reason, or not business, but into foster care for the wrong reasons. Right. And so, right. you know, we just have this cycle that starts. But yeah, the families, there's so many women who don't know where their kids are. They know their kids have been split up and siblings, you know, the kids don't even know their siblings. And so I just realized how systemic like that that can be like how pervasive that can be mm-hmm. in our community mm-hmm. in terms of affecting everything mm. and I never thought about that yeah. you know and until I you're started in it. hearing firsthand <laughs> yeah. right yeah how it affects our families yeah. and our community
0: yeah oh well yeah. this was <laughs> Amazing, You are amazing. And I'm so honored to have you on the show. Like I mentioned earlier, this is just such a great way to kick off season two. Before we wrap up, I do want to give the listeners a chance to get to know more about you and where they can follow you and maybe stay in touch, ask questions. I know we have a lot of college students who listen to this podcast who may be going into the same field or line of work as you. So please feel free to share your social media, your blogs, anything that you want um, for people to you know, connect with you.
1: I would love to, um, and especially college students. I, I'm a first-generation uh, college graduate on my mother's side of the family. So if there's anybody I can help with this journey of trying to navigate, I would love to. Um, my email address is Selena, S-E-L, E-E-N-A Smith PhD at gmail.com you can find me on Instagram you can look at to get a glimpse of my personal life on Instagram and that's Lena L-E-E N-A PhD Um, and I really need to start blogging Alex like you (laughs) I've had so many people tell me that so I am going to look into blogging because I really do have a lot of stories that I can share with people. I'll
0: be tuning in when you do.
1: <laughs> Please. Yes. And I, I just want to take a second to thank you for all that you do for women, for our community, and especially for the women that I serve. You have changed their lives. Like I have your books and I read, you know, different poems and different things that you've written to them. And like I told you, your your affirmations and stuff are on my on my computer so they see them on my screensavers and you just you have no idea how how many people you touch every single day mm-hmm. so i just want to thank you for all that you do and you've helped me tremendously over the past three or four years
0: thank and you. this was
1: even before you knew me so you're an incredible woman and you're doing great work so thank i want to thank you Aww. as well
0: thank you I appreciate those words and thank I look you. forward to coming to visit the women we're going to make yes. that happen in
1: 2017 let's do it and let's it's
0: going to be, it. be great so thank you so 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 much and um, thank you. I appreciate you
1: <laughs> thank you I appreciate you as well thank you it's bye. been a pleasure
0: talk to you later
1: alright bye. bye bye bye
0: Hey Girl is a member of the District Productive Network. Produced by Jamie Benson and me, Alex L. Music provided by DC's own Kokai.